Uh, we're moving on to biblical manhood and womanhood in the church. We've seen the main principles that man is supposed to be the leader, the authority. Woman is supposed to be the helper. Saw how that plays out in the home. And now I want to look at what that looks like in the church. And so we're going to do much like what we did with um, manhood and womanhood. You guys have? Oh, I don't know where I got this extra one. Um, we're going to do much like we did with uh, the last two weeks. We'll take the first week here this week to look at the the passages of Scripture from which we draw these principles, and then we'll take next week to look at uh, some more specific application. So let me begin with the word of prayer and uh, ask for God's help as we do this. Father, we're thankful for this uh, series of studies that we can uh, look into your word and reflect on how you have ordered creation and how you have ordered all the various um, organizations within the within our universe, uh, within your universe, and we pray that you'd help us to understand our roles in them and then to work hard to to uh, put ourselves into conformity to those roles that you've set out for us. Thank you for making us as you have, and we pray that you'd help us to find and see the great joy and freedom that there is in uh, in fulfilling these roles that you've established for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Biblical manhood and womanhood in the church. Um, let me just remind you about you know the main principle that we've learned here, and that is that man and woman are equal in Christ, equal with regard to their being made in the image of God, but different in function, different in roles. Um, the um, analogy that we can we can try to uh, draw this from is the analogy of the the Trinity, that God the Father is equal in essence to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, but different in function, different in role. Right? They have different responsibilities, and uh, doesn't make one of them uh, less important than the other. There, each member of the Trinity is equally important, and uh, just as we are before God. So how does this work out in the church? Are there uh, distinct roles that men and women are to play in the church uh, um, like there are in the home? Uh, these, these are the types of questions that we want to answer. So let's begin with uh, kind of a summary statement. Uh, just to keep our, our minds in the right place. Because what we don't want to say is, okay, because God made men to be the authority, the leaders, the teachers, then women, you have no importance to the church or, or no function at all. Instead, we need to recognize the Scripture's uh, establishment of every single person contributing to the needs of the body. That is, that we all participate in the work of the gospel. We all participate in the work of the ministry. And um, God has given us, given us the freedom to do that. There are various ways that we can serve the local church. Uh, we're going to look at a couple passages this morning. Um, l- let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we want to 
think about this statement as we turn there. That is, God has given to every Christian, whether man or woman, gifts which He intends them to use for the edification of the church. So no matter who you are, if you are a part of Christ's church, you have been given the responsibility, the joy, the freedom of being able to contribute to the body to edify the church. All right. So let's read chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by, the one, by one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Paul says here that Christians are blessed in many different ways with regard to their ability to minister. Some are given the gifts of knowledge and understanding. Some are given a, a, a special measure of, of faith. And still others, uh, very, various other kinds of gifts. And uh, we, we don't have time to go into you know, some of these gifts obviously be, having ceased, but the point is that there's no distinction here. No matter if you're Jew or Gentile or slave or free, remember, think about that dynamic, slave and free within the same church. You know, like Philemon and Onesimus in the same church. Think about that dynamic. Okay, maybe, you know, Onesimus is not really capable of, of serving because he's a slave. Uh, no, that's not what it is at all. Paul says everybody has been gifted by the one Spirit, the same Spirit. So don't downplay those spiritual gifts. Um, and furthermore, all of these are to be used for the edification of the church. Notice verse 7, but to each one is given the manif manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, All of the ways that the Spirit manifests Himself through individuals, it is important not for the common good, you know, mankind in general, but the common good within your church, within Christ's church. Peter writes something similar in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Use it to serve one another. Okay, so the point of the Spirit giving you the gift, these gifts that He has is not for you to use them on yourself primarily. It is for you to use them for the sake of the common good, for the sake of the whole, to serve other people, to edify. That's the idea here. And, uh, of course, now we need to think about the different responsibilities within an authority structure because, you know, suppose, um, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but suppose a woman is given the gift of teaching. Okay, so does that mean that she has to use it for the common good and teach men as well? We'll answer that question by the end of this class. All right, let's look at the last, uh, or, or so, let's continue on our, our reading here with verse 12. 
just want to see another point that Paul makes here. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He has or, or He desired. Okay, so here's the other point we want to draw from this, and that is that no person's gift, their, their God-given role within the church, is to be disdained or looked down on as unimportant or unnecessary, irrelevant. We each have a role to play. And Paul uses this kind of silly analogy here. You know, what would the body be without a nose? What would, you know... In, in, the nose thinks, you know, it's not very. I'm not very important because I'm not the eye or something like that. Doesn't that doesn't mean it's unimportant? It is important. And um, so, the point here is that we have differing roles within the church, and we can apply this to our genders as well. That is, men and women have different roles, and yet all of them are important. And um, and we need to determine how they are to be used. Now, egalitarians would say, you know, God, the Holy Spirit has given various gifts, and that's where we need to stop. They've given various gifts, so therefore, everybody can use them however they want. But in order to do that, they have to ignore several different passages of Scripture, or at least reinterpret them. And um, the fact is that there are differing roles within the church, that, that men and women are to use their roles uh, use their gifts in, in various ways. So let's spend some time looking at two texts of Scripture that Paul lays out here um, with regard to each of our responsibilities to operate within the local church. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for our first one. And as you do, do you have any questions on 1 Corinthians? All right, First Timothy chapter two. Now, would someone read verses eight through fifteen? Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls. But rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. All right, what is what is going on here with Paul writing these words? 
Well, we don't know exactly what was going on in the church, but apparently um, some of the uh, false teachers were infiltrating uh, the people of the church and uh, doing it in a harmful way, obviously. We don't know exactly what they were teaching, but the text gives us some clues about what they might have been teaching um, because uh, later on he says that false teachers were sowing dissension among uh, the leaders and within the within the members of the church. And they, they were even pressing on towards uh, what is known as asceticism, which is a removal of ourselves from all of the, the things, the, the pleasures of this world in order to try to be more godly um, and in an extreme way like a monk would do. Um, and they seem to have targeted even vulnerable women, especially young widows, according to chapter 5, verse 15. We also have indication that these false teachers were encouraging their the women in the church to throw off these long-standing biblical roles of you know, um, uh, of of uh, recognizing themselves as helpers and instead taking on a role of, of egalitarianism. And so this is probably why Paul instructs women not to be adorned by this gaudy apparel, you know, but, but rather with modesty and self, self-control. Because the, this gaudy apparel in those days would probably signal a woman's bid to be independent of her husband's authority or or of uh, authority of men in general. And so Paul exhorts them here in the first few verses that Jonathan read that they need to have, notice, verse 11, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Okay? So they must quietly receive instruction. Now, there's a lot here that we could go into, but but every word here is important. First, Paul encourages them to do it quietly. Now, what does that mean? Um, I think this will become clearer in a moment when we when we kind of uh, open this up a little bit more and, and find out what their responsibility was. But I think, to just to summarize, it means that they can't be teaching. Okay, They can't be teaching men specifically. We'll talk about that. They, they should not be usurping the authority of Pastor Timothy here. Now, the second part of that is that they should receive instruction. And if you recognize what's going on in the culture at this time, you would recognize that this is a pretty powerful statement that they would be even able to receive instruction at all because uh, women were looked down upon in traditional Jewish life and uh, some of that carried over into the Gentiles as well. So they should quietly receive instruction. That's a good thing. They have the ability to receive that instruction and to interpret it properly. Um, but they should do it quietly. And then they should do it in submissiveness. This is, uh, again, with regard to their roles um, within the relationship between themselves and men. This that we've been talking throughout the course. All right, now Paul places two restrictions on women that I think explain what it means to to do this quietly. And he gives those two restrictions in verse 12. What are the two restrictions on on women? What are they? Okay, they cannot teach and they cannot exercise authority. Okay, so those are the two we'll look at. First, what does Paul mean by teaching? Must not teach a man, must not have authority over man. Those are your blanks. 
All right, first, what does it mean that she cannot teach? The word teach here in the Greek language has to do with the careful uh, passing on of the, the tradition of, of the New Testament. Okay, that is, that is a proclaiming of the truth. That's the idea of, of teaching. Maybe a simple way to say it would be authoritative instruction in doctrine. Okay, authoritative instruction in doctrine. That, that a person who would stand in this sort of position was normally in the position of a, a leader of the church, like the pastor. This is one of his responsibilities. He has to be able to teach. He has to be able to authoritatively pass on the tradition of the, the uh, doctrines of Scripture. And this is the kind of teaching that Paul is referring to here. He's restricting that function uh, from the women. That is, they are not allowed to do it. Now, is Paul prohibiting women from teaching at all? Okay, think about this with me for a second. Can a woman teach at all? He said, look at the verse again. I do not allow a woman to teach. It sounds like she can't teach at all. Um, but what, what I want you to notice there in verse 12 is that the second part of the verse, or the, the next phrase, actually tells us the object of the, of the verb to teach. Okay? I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Okay, So here's how we could read it that would make it a little, a little bit clearer for us. I do not allow a woman to teach a man or I do not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man. Okay, So the object there is, is man in both cases. It doesn't mean that women cannot teach at all. Why do we know that? Why do we know that women can teach within the church, within a church setting? From, oh. oh, yeah. Acts chapter... 19, 18, 19, good. What else? Right, Titus chapter 2, I think it is, where it says older women ought to train, or other translations say teach the younger women to be, you know, workers at home and so on um, that we talked about. So, Sandra, did you have something to add? Okay, good. So, so it doesn't mean that a woman is not gifted to be able to teach or that even if she is gifted, she can't do it within the church. The point is she can't do it over a man. She can't teach a man in a formal setting. So a woman who is gifted in these beautiful ways ought to, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, ought to use her gifts for the common good, for the needs of the body, 1 Peter 4.10, so that she can uh, serve one another, serve other people within the church. So it's not that she can't teach, it's that she can't teach men. So this obviously uh, allows her to be able to teach, um, <clears throat> allows her to be able to teach other women and obviously children as well, just like she does in the home. You know, we saw that example with Proverbs chapter 31, uh, where the, the woman there was teaching her children to be wise and um, I think that's a principle that would carry on into the New Testament. So a woman cannot teach a man. Secondly, a woman cannot have authority over a man. A woman cannot have authority over a man. What does this mean? To have authority has to do with governing or ruling function that, that Paul is saying that's restricted to men alone. And um, this ruling function, actually the same word, uh, the same root word, 
is the word that that we, that is translated for us as overseer when it's referring to a pastor, someone who has oversight over all the affairs of the church. That is that this is designed for the man to take this responsibility. First uh, Peter three five speaks of a an elder or pastor caring for the church in the same way that he manages his own home. It's a management. And what Paul is saying here is women cannot have management over the the church that, that is over a man in in an authoritative type way. And uh so that's why in our church we use principles like this in first Timothy chapter three um that says that he has to be the husband of one wife. That's why we have only men as pastors in our stripe of Baptist churches. I, I'm not familiar with any Baptist churches actually that have um, women as pastors, but I'm, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some out there. Okay, so those are the two restrictions. Within the context of the local church, a woman cannot teach a man and she cannot have authority over a man. Any questions on that? Right. Yeah. Actually, Second uh, Timothy um, three fourteen. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. It doesn't sound like either his father or his grandfather were in the picture, because in chapter one of Second Timothy, um, Paul commends who is it, Eunice and get that other name of his Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. Okay, so it sounds like he had yeah, it's just, it just sounds like he had the the women there in a in a teaching role for him as he grew up and that's where he learned the sacred writing. So No, not necessarily, but that's a good I mean that that speaks to the point earlier that supports the point that says that women are able to teach children as well. You know, not just the Proverbs 31 woman, but you have examples in the New Testament as well. Well, why has God assigned these certain roles to men? What, what's the point of this? Why why can a woman not teach men? And Paul gives a couple of reasons in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 is the reason number one, and verse 14 is reason number two. So let's look at the first one. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. This one should not surprise us, especially since we've talked about this principle on multiple occasions. That is that it's part of the way that God designed man to be and designed woman to be. That is man as leader, woman as helper. That's the word that's used in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, these roles are not any different when it comes to the church. Um, And if, if a if a woman is to lead a man or, or teach a man or have authority over man within the context of the church, then it actually goes fundamentally against this primary principle that's been set up since um, creation for the man to be the leader and the woman to be the follower. Or, I'm sorry, the helper. It's a better, uh, better way to put it there. Okay, because it's a helping function. It's not just a passive, you know, I'll just do whatever he says. It's a, It's actually a supporting role it's it's contributing to the needs of of the man and, and his responsibility to lead okay so that's the first reason adam was created first just simply uh chronological order that god had set up 
The second reason is um, is in verse 14. And I just gave away the answer there. I guess I'll leave it up now that you've seen it. But I wanted to kind of do this inductively. But um, verse 14 reads, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into tra- transgression. Okay. Now, this is a difficult verse because some have argued that it means that women are generally more gullible than men. Okay, that she was the one who's deceived. If Satan had come to him, he wouldn't have been deceived is the implication that people draw from this verse. But I don't think that there's any uh, biblical reason why a person could take that view. That, that, this, that the Bible teaches that women are more gullible generally than men. All right, so hopefully, men, you haven't used this one in a bad way before. But All right, there's a couple reasons why I... I suggest that the women are not more gullible than men. Okay, first of all, is just because Eve was deceived doesn't mean that all women would be deceived in the the same way. In other words, she, um, you know, we say that Adam is is our representative head, and um, and uh, and he is, and that he when he sinned, he turned us into sinners. Basically, uh, we we didn't exist at that time, but but as our representative, we are all sinners. And uh, but we don't want to say that you know because Eve did that, she's gullible and therefore all women are gullible. That's not the point of the text. That's not a point of the of the event that took place there in Genesis chapter three. Um, and then uh, secondly, Paul understood uh, a, an important point here, and that is that it's not that women were, were more susceptible to deception or to accepting a false doctrine. Because if he were, if he thought that women were more gullible than men, and if he thought that they were more susceptible to deception and false teaching, or receiving false teaching, then why would he say in Titus chapter 2 that it's okay for women to teach other women? Right? Why, Why would he say that, no, you can't do that at all. You need to give that responsibility over to capable people you know, people who are not so simply minded, and uh, and that's the men. So the men will teach the younger m- women how to do these things. Okay, it's n- and and the answer to that is not because those women are unimportant or children are unimportant in any way. The point is, because he allows them to teach in some settings. The point of this verse cannot be that they are more gullible. A better understanding is that. When Paul says Adam was not the one deceived first, okay, Adam, it was not Adam who was deceived. The point is that the serpent didn't come to Adam. Adam didn't even get a chance to be deceived because the serpent didn't come to him. See, the, the serpent uh, came directly to Eve. He lied to her. He was not aiming, aiming at her because she was more gullible, okay, Rather, he was aiming at the created order. This is how God has it designed. Man is the leader and the woman is the helper. So I'm going to go to the man. Since he's the respons- he has the responsibility in this relationship to carry out this commandment. So I'm going to go to Adam. That's not what he does. He's going to undermine the authority of the, the, that's set up in the creation order and go directly to the woman in order to assault the creation order that God had set up. 
he deliberately defied that order and went to Eve, putting her in a position now of spokesperson and leader and, and defender. And so Paul is saying, rather, look at verse 14. This is the idea here. Adam was not deceived. That is, the deceiver did not approach Adam and didn't deal directly with him. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. That is, the deceiver approached her and led her into deception. So the statement is less about the capability of the woman and the man and more about the responsibility of the woman and the man. That is, the roles. And as a result, obviously, of the weakness on both persons' parts, it plunged all men into sin. But remember who was held responsible for that? It was Adam. Okay? Because he had the responsibility to lead in that. And apparently from the text in Genesis chapter 3, he was right there with her while it happened. And yet Satan's talking to her. And, uh, and Adam's not stopping it. All right? So these different roles are set up. Uh, by God in creation, and Satan is seeking to usurp those roles. Remember that we saw that in the curse, Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, uh, somewhere around there, that um, that he, the curse is based on the various roles that we have within creation. Man over uh, ruling the, the creation itself, and then women with their supporting role towards men. And so... Paul's reason here, let's get back to what his main point is. A woman cannot teach a man or have authority. The reasons, two reasons. One is, okay, God designed man to be leader and woman to be helper. And two is, to change that order within the context of the local church is actually to defy the created order, to go against what God had designed. Yeah, let me, let me just do one thing here. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. For sake of time, and then I'll let Vicky ask as you're turning. First Corinthians chapter eleven. Go ahead. Uh, what you said about Satan, are you trying to say that unlike Satan, who made each of them have their own place, the woman's got an advantage over? Uh, yeah. I mean, keep what God had designed from the very beginning to you know to remain intact within the marriage relationship we talked about. Now I'm saying within the church as well. Yep. First Corinthians eleven. All right, I'm uh, probably going to have to hustle through this. We've got a baptism this morning, and uh, Greg and I need to, to go get ready for that. So I'm going to try to let us out a little early to do that. First Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read beginning in verse 2. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesies disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful... For a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither 
is woman independent of man or is man independent of woman? For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for her covering. Or if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. This text has been a great, uh, been used uh, a lot in probably some wrong ways, probably some right ways occasionally too, but it definitely creates a lot of confusion when we read through that, even as you're reading along there with me. You probably had a lot of questions pop up in your mind with regard to um, how we do things at church. What are these head coverings that Paul is talking about? Does this mean that, that women should be wearing head coverings today? Um, what about women praying and prophesying? Uh, when other texts like 1 Corinthians 14 talk about them being silent in the churches. Let me just uh, direct your attention to three statements. For some reason I have... Okay, the three italicized ones are the ones the ones there. The, the one in regular print is uh, not one of the three. So, number one, Paul does allow women to pray and prophesy in the church. Okay, look at verse 5. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. So his point is they, they're doing wrong because they're praying, prophesying. His point is not that they're wrong because they're praying or prophesying, pro, prophesying, but rather that they're doing it with the wrong way with regard to this head covering, which we'll talk about here in just a second. Okay, But the point is that he allows it. He's saying that they can pray and prophesy. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about what that means to prophesy, um, but but at least praying shows some sort of public speaking um, by by the woman, and um, and apparently she's encouraged to do this in the public worship of the church. Now, what do we say about First Corinthians fourteen thirty four, where it says the woman should uh, the women should keep silent in the church, and that they're not allowed to, to speak. Some, some have said, you know, there's no speaking by women within the public services of the church. Um, but that doesn't really square here with verse 5 in chapter 12. A better way to understand chapter 14 where it says a woman should be silent is to see that, that she should be silent in a certain context. That is, in these public ways of, of um, determining whether these prophecies were genuine or not. That is, Operating in a position of authority, right? This is consistent with what we just saw in First Timothy where it says she should do it quietly. The idea of quietly is not without a word, but rather it should be with in a recognition of her role within the created order and within the, within the structure of the local church. Okay, so I think... Many times those verses in chapter 14 are used in a wrong way, in a harmful way, um, to say that women cannot speak at all in the church. And we have to recognize what the context there is and also the broader context. What else does Paul say about women speaking? So what I'm suggesting to you is Paul does allow women to pray and prophesy. Number two, while women are allowed to pray and prophesy, 
in the church, they must do so in a way that makes clear their identity as women. Okay, and this is the point of the head coverings. You you may have a different idea about what a head covering might mean for us today, but, but at the very least, it separates a man from a woman. Okay, it, it shows the distinction, the identity that there is. Um, so that so that people, when a person is speaking in church, recognize the various roles within the church. So in verse four, Paul says that it's dishonorable for a man to wear a head covering. Well, why would that be? Well, apparently because the women at that time were wearing head coverings. So if he wore one, he would actually be confusing people, maybe even rebelling against the created order, saying, "I I have been made to be like." like a man, like a leader, and yet now I'm operating unlike that. I'm, I'm taking on some of these other adornments, uh, embracing a wrong sort of role, uh, the wrong identity. And so in verse 5, the same is true about a woman. It's not honorable for her to, to uh, have the identity of a man. And, uh, and so I think the heart of this principle is that she cannot usurp her role within the church. A man cannot usurp his role in the church and uh, and a woman cannot usurp her role. Um, look at verse 7 with me. A man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is, glor- is the glory of man. Okay, now the point of this is not to address the subject of cross-dressing um, probably could draw that from some Old Testament principles if you wanted to preach against that sort of thing, but I don't think that's the point of what Paul is saying. Rather, it's about embracing the roles that we have. And so when he says in verse 7, man is the image and glory of God, he's not saying that woman is not the, Im- the image and glory of God. That's not what he's saying. We know from Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, that male and female he created them. Right in the image of God, so we both are made in the image of God. So we don't. That's not what Paul's saying. But notice, uh, verse seven. But the woman is the glory of man. The idea is that that man is is um, is put there in a place where uh, he is designed to honor God, and in the same way, women are designed to honor men, to to be the helper to them. Now, obviously. In doing so, they can honor God as well. We understand that, but that's, I think that's what Paul's getting at. So let me just point you to this last one here. Women must pray and prophesy in a way that makes clear their proper and willing submission. So in Paul's context, we'll just leave it in his. That's why I left prophesy in there. They must do so in a way that's willingly submitting themselves to man's authority. Verse 3 um, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So you see that structure there again. Within the Godhead, God is the head of Christ. Christ is no less important than God, the Father. Um, and Christ is the head of every man. And, uh, and the man is the head of every woman, and that doesn't make the woman unimportant. Just the creation roles that have been set up. All right, so um, we'll we'll look more practically about what this means in the church. Okay, there's lots of different things that we could talk about. You know, whether 
uh, a woman can give a testimony, can you know sing in front of the church, can she you know can she pray you know before the offering or or uh, you know we'll we'll kind of answer some of those questions. But let me just uh, try to answer this question about head coverings because this does come up in the passage. Um, and for us to, to say that, that head coverings are for today would, I think, be to go too far. Um, again, what's Paul's point here? His point is not the particular item of clothing or like in First Timothy chapter 2, the hairstyle, right, adorned with braided hair. So if we're going to go that far, we're going to say they can't, have, they can't braid their hair either. Um, the point was not that, but rather it was about the differing roles between men and women in the church and whether or not they're embracing those roles. So we don't know exactly what the head covering was there. Could uh, you know? Could just have been some hair. Could could have been some cloth, like some people, uh, or or a hat or something. You've seen this several, uh, perhaps at, at some of the churches you've been to. But um, but I think the point is not the type of clothing or the type of braiding or adornment in the hair, but rather. Uh, the, the differing roles within the the, um, the church. All right, so it's it comes down to our roles. It's all about our roles. Okay, this is what Satan's trying to usurp. He's trying to undermine the authority that a man has over a woman. He's trying to get the woman to usurp the authority that is over her. And at the same time, we have to all recognize that we are we we have been given spiritual gifts to use for the sake of the church. So we have to ask and answer the question, how can we use the spiritual gift that God has given to us in a way that fits within the appropriate roles that I've been given? Okay? And uh, so we'll we'll talk more about what that looks like next week. Any questions before uh, we get dismissed? Vicki. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think there's um I don't think there's any um what do you call it um what's the gender role not racism but sexism, right? Okay, I don't think there's any sexism within with with regard to what Paul is saying here um in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, yeah, I mean you, if you look at the examples of Old Testament scripture, you're going to find a lot of women who are uh, in many cases, wiser than their male counterparts, and so that doesn't mean that that women are are gullible. We need to be careful about that one. I think we need to be careful about the women being silent in church too. Look at that again, if um, you know when you have some time. Look at that passage in First Corinthians 14. We didn't look at it, but um, look at that within the context of what Paul is saying. Read probably chapters 12 through 15 there, and. Um, and try to try to understand that properly. All right. Any other questions? Bill. I'm going to say this for next week about this Timothy piece. Okay. All right. Let me pray. Oh, go ahead. Maybe the word reticent would be a better one to use instead of quiet. Like restrain, recognizing authority. You know. Yeah. Before we speak. Yeah, and I think probably an understanding of what that means is going to be a little bit uh, clearer next week when we look at how that plays out in our church. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for... uh
your design and help us as we look at at these uh, difficult issues um, that have plagued the the church of Jesus Christ for decades, um, particularly with uh, the rise of feminism within our country. We pray that you would help us to think about these things rightly, but not to go too far to it, the other extreme and exclude uh, women from their proper responsibilities within the church and their and uh, and and our need as men for them to serve the church with the gifts that they've been given. Thank you for the same spirit that we have and for how he's working in us to unify us. We pray that you do that even now in this service to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got a room downstairs for you. Um, Paul, can you give me a hand? Are you doing offering or anything this morning? Okay. You'll be back by then. But um, Can you uh, be the guard outside of Greg's door here? He's going to have a changing room down here. Hey, Kim, how are you? Good. <laughs> yeah. One of those things that uh, you put your clothes in, keep them clean, and uh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Wear, wear whatever you're going to wear underneath that. Put that on. And okay. I should be ready in just a few minutes. I'll, we're going to head up that way. Oh, we got to go back that way. Yep. So I'll, I'll I'm going to be changing my office. I'll be back oh, okay. in a little bit. Plus, we're going to need more Here, but he's doing sound. Okay. Paul's reading. So, if you, you mind grabbing a couple guys. 